Hello and welcome to Fantastic Fights, the fighting fantasy podcast in which I, an unemployed middle-aged man, play through all the adventure game books I loved as a child. This is a long episode, so we're going to dive more or less straight in, right after I thank a new patron, Ray Otis, for their support. This podcast is a real labour of love for me, and your support means a great deal. Thank you so much. You can show your appreciation in a similar way by going to patreon.com forward slash hjdoom and pledging to support the show. There's no specific patron rewards, but I do tend to do a bonus episode every time I get a new patron, so there's that, I guess. I really suck at Patreon. If you can't support me financially, and I totally understand if you can't, you can show your support by leaving a review or telling someone about the show. This episode, we're delving into pulp adventure territory as we take on Ian Livingstone's Island of the Lizard King, first released in 1984, with a delightful cover illustration by Ian McCaig and internal art by Alan Langford. After the trap-filled maze that was Death Trap Dungeon, will a journey to more tropical climes provide a welcome change of pace? There's only one way to find out, so let's play The Island of the Lizard King. This is a classic fighting fantasy game book, and so we only have three stats to worry about, skill, stamina, and luck. And my character, who I've named Arkham Von Moistspot, has a skill of 11, a stamina of 23, and a luck of 9. I would note that I wasn't 100% honest when I rolled those up, but I was quite honest. I've taken the good old potion of luck, as my potion, which will restore my luck to its initial value and add one to it as well, since my luck is a little bit on the low side. I've got ten provisions, a sword and some leather armour. So, without any further ado, let's dive straight in. Oyster Bay is a quiet fishing village some 60 miles down the coast from the notorious Port Blacksand. Because it is at the end of a long peninsula reached only by a steep and winding path, the fishermen and their wives are left to lead a simple but content life away from the monsters and sorcery of the hinterland. Journeying south from Fang, you decide that you could do with a few days rest, and knowing of no more peaceful place than Oyster Bay, you urge your horse towards the coast. Besides, an old adventuring friend of yours called Mungo lives there now, and it's been years since you last saw him. Two days later, you arrive at the edge of the cliffs overlooking Oyster Bay. It is a beautiful sunny morning and everything looks tranquil below. Nothing seems to have changed. A cluster of stone cottages nestle between the foot of the cliffs and a jetty where a dozen fishing boats lie at anchor. You jump off your horse and walk down the winding path to the village. The first people you see are a group of crying women. As you approach them, several men step out of a cottage and run towards you. One of the four is your old friend Mungo. His weather-beaten face is full of anger. He looks surprised to see you, but wastes no time or words of welcome. He recounts the sad events that have befallen the village. Having no gold or material wealth, the people of Oyster Bay thought themselves safe from raiders attacking their village. But several weeks ago, while most of the men were out at sea, the lizard men of Fire Island landed their boats in Oyster Bay and kidnapped several young men. Mungo believes that they are now enslaved on Fire Island and working in chain gangs in the gold mines. Since the kidnapping, two men were left to guard the village while the rest went out to fish. Despite this, the lizard men attacked again this very morning, 
overpowering the guards and taking away more young men. Mungo tells you that he is about to set sail for Fire Island alone because the other fishermen are too scared to set foot on the island. He stares at you in silence until you smile and say, you will aid him in your quest. He slaps you on the back and shakes your hand in gratitude. For the moment, the poor fishing folk forget their grief and crowd round you, eager to thank you. Mungo then invites you to dine with him and rest a while, as the voyage to Fire Island will take several hours. Over a delicious feast of boiled lobsters and salad, you discuss your plans. Mungo tells you that he does not think humans live on Fire Island any longer, which, to be honest, makes it increasingly attractive to me as a place to visit. But his knowledge of the island is fairly limited. These are just rumours that pass between fishermen from other coastal villages. However, it is known that Fire Island used to be a prison colony, guarded by a tribe of paid lizardmen. This was a rather futile attempt by Prince Olaf to rid his land of undesirable characters. The good prince soon learned that it would have been simpler to put his lawful citizens on Fire Island and leave the evildoers on the mainland. There were just too many of them. He gave up his attempt and abandoned the prison colony. When the lizard men received no pay, they took their vengeance out on the prisoners, and the island became a place of terror, ruled by a lizard man prison guard who proclaimed himself king. The prisoners were forced to dig mines in the hope of finding gold for the lizard king. They were underfed and ill-treated and many died. That is presumably why the Lizard King is sending out his men to find new slaves. It is known that in order to assert his authority, the Lizard King began practicing voodoo and black magic. He also started genetic experiments in an attempt to breed an invincible race of lizard men. Most of the experiments went wrong. Grotesque mutants were created, and some of the harmful potions found their way into the water drains with terrible consequences. The local flora and fauna were affected, with the result that man-eating plants developed and giant beasts evolved. A few of the prisoners managed to escape the island on rafts, and were picked up by fishermen. But what has happened in the last few years, nobody knows. Fire Island had almost been forgotten until the recent raids. Success in your quest to assassinate the Lizard King and rescue kidnapped victims is doubtful, but you must try. You stand up and walk down to the jetty, with Mungo stepping aboard his small fishing boat. In the sight of cheering villagers, you untie the boat and push out to sea, wondering if you will ever return. Now, regular listeners will know that... um, It is incredibly rare for us to return from our adventures. We have a distinct tendency to die horribly. So I think uh, our protagonist, Arkham von Moispot, is entirely justified in his sense of trepidation. I do like the fact that the Lizard King, not content with being a Lizard Man King, is also into voodoo and black magic and genetic experiments. He really is the ideal 19... 30s to 50s B-movie villain, so I will look forward enormously to tangling with him in the unlikely event that I actually make it that far through the book. Mungo's years with the fishermen of Oyster Bay have made him a skillful boatman. I was just about to throw some shade at the character named Mungo, but then I remembered Arkham von Moispot. I'm not really in a position to throw shade at anyone when it comes to naming. Mungo swiftly hoists the sail of the small boat and sets a course due west across the silvery blue sea. The land soon recedes into the distance and you sit back on the deck, relaxing in the afternoon sunshine. From the stern you hear merry whistling, 
the creak of the rudder and Mungo occasionally calling out to a seabird passing overhead. You think about the good times you used to have with Mungo, his constant cheerful nature and willingness to help people in need. I'm beginning to worry for, for Mungo. Um, yes, he's one step away from declaring how he's only going to go on this one last adventure and then marry his sweetheart. You find it difficult to believe that so much evil exists in the land when there lives the like of Mungo. As the hours drift by, you talk and laugh, trying to ignore the dangers ahead. Mungo is always one to tell a tale, and he is now telling you about his father and how he used to work in a travelling circus. He was a big man, big as a mountain, laughs Mungo, and he would do just about anything for a paying crowd. Wrestle trolls, have elephants stand on him, and even let a killer bee sting him. He was a tough old customer, but uh, he finally met his match in the north. The circus was in Fang, as one of the attractions during the festivities surrounding the trial of the champions, and my father decided on a whim to enter. He walked into Death Trap Dungeon and, alas, was never seen again. He was really too old for such an ordeal, though there was no telling him that, but uh, at least he tried, which is, I think, what's going to be written on our tombstone. Just as Mungo is about to tell you his next tale, he jumps up and shouts, Land Ahoy! at the top of his voice as though he were yelling the news to the crew of a galleon. You look to where he is pointing and see Fire Island in the distance. The island sits on the sea like a green cushion, with jagged mountains protruding from it. Smoke gently curls up from its top, a volcano's fuming anger waiting to explode. Mungo steers the boat towards a small inlet at the eastern tip of the island, hoping that it will remain concealed between the high rocks. You both put on your backpacks and clamber out of the boat to begin your quest to find the Lizard King. Do you wish to scramble round the rocks on the beach to your left? Or do you want to clamber over the rocks on the other side of the inlet and follow the cove to your right? Well, that's a classic fighting fantasy binary decision. I always go left, don't I? So I'm going to stick with tradition. I'm going to go left this time as well. It does not take you long to reach the beach, which is small and covered with golden sand. A few rocks jut into the sea, and at the far end of the beach you see a tiny hut made of white stone. The roof has collapsed, and the hut looks deserted. There are some long tracks in the sand crisscrossing the beach. If you wish to walk across the beach to the hut, you can, or you can climb back to the inlet and over to the beach in the other cove. I mean... There's a mystery here, and you know me, listeners, I can't abide a mystery, so I'm going to go and investigate that there hut. You are about halfway across the beach when suddenly a large mound of sand by the sea's edge starts to rise in the air. Then you see six large spiny legs and a pair of pincers, and as the sand slides off its huge shell, your eyes widen at the daunting sight of the giant crab before you. It scuttles across the sand, picking up Mungo with one of its pincers. Mungo cries out in pain, unable to free himself from the vice-like grip. There is a very nice picture of Mungo captured by the giant crab, which looks suitably menacing. It really is a big, beefy lad. Very large indeed. Do you wish to help Mungo, or do you want to run to the stone hut? I mean, he's a friend, and a friend in need etc etc so i think we will we will do the straightforwardly heroic thing i think on this occasion 
You run at the giant crab with your sword drawn. It drops Mungo into the sand in order to attack you with both pincers. The giant crab has a skill of 10 and a stamina of 11. I am going to roll some dice. I have defeated the giant crab. It was quite the tussle, I have to say. I was reduced to 9 stamina. So I'm going to take the opportunity at the first chance I get to scarf a couple of provisions. And that will take me back up to stamina 17. So big meal, everything's fine. But yeah, that was a very, very tough opening fight, which does not bode at all well for the future. But we have at least one. Kneeling down beside the crushed body of Mungo, you gently lift his head in your arms. His eyes open a little and he manages half a smile despite his agony. In a whisper he says, Well, old friend, it's the end of the road for me. Lot of you, Scythemen. Make sure you get the Lizard King for me, won't you? Then his eyes close and he slumps down, dead. You bury him on the beach near the cliff, marking the grave with his sword skewered in the sand. More determined than ever, you set off on your quest and walk to the stone hut. Poor old Mungo. I did predict that he wasn't going to last very long, but that was very swift. Very swift indeed. Um, I wonder if it might have been different if I'd legged it to the hut. Maybe I'll check later. I wonder what happens if you go the other way as well. Again, I might check later. The abandoned hut is littered with broken furniture, smashed pottery and a few bits of torn clothing. You kick away a dirty rug and see the handle of a trapdoor in the floorboards. Do you wish to lift the trapdoor or do you want to leave the hut? I will lift the trapdoor, obviously. You pull the handle and lift up the trapdoor. In a small compartment you see a wooden box which you lift out and place on the floor. The lid is covered with candle wax. Do you wish to open the box or would you rather leave the hut? We're definitely opening the box. The lid lifts up easily and inside you find a corked earthenware jug and a note which reads Many years ago I came to Fire Island for peace and solitude. But since the lizard men have dwelt here, such an existence is no longer possible. I have now returned to the mainland. Many of the plants and bushes here are poisonous. A scratch can kill you. Drink my potion from this jug and you will come to no harm. I wish you well for whatever reason you are here. Farewell, Baskin. Do you want to drink the liquid in the jug? Yes, I do. Chug, chug, chug. The liquid tastes of aniseed and is milky in colour. You gulp it down but feel no effects and can only presume that it will protect you on your journey ahead. You put down the jug and leave the hut. Behind the hut, you see a narrow goat track leading up the side of the cliff. You wend your way up it and are quite exhausted by the time you reach the top. You take a swig of water from your flask and realise that water shortage could be a problem for you on this island. Looking west, you see the daunting sight of the sleeping volcano standing above the trees, but no signs of life, although you can certainly hear it, a cacophony of bird and insect noise. With the light quickly fading, you decide to camp for the night behind some rocks. You do not sleep very well and are awake at first light, eager to set off. You decide to head directly west into the trees. The undergrowth between the trees is dense. Plants with long or broad leaves, some with spiny tips. Vines, creeper, fungi, roots and flowers of all sizes, shapes and colours 
fighting for light and space in a humid jungle thicket. You have to use your sword to cut your way through it. It's a long and slow business. Do you wish to sit down and rest at the base of a great tree, or would you rather continue hacking your way west? I mean, that's a murder tree, isn't it? That is that is a tree of genus murderous stabity. I think I'm going to give that tree a miss. So we will just continue hacking west. Fictional tiredness is always the easiest type of tiredness to ignore, I find. As you push your way slowly through the undergrowth, the hairs on the back of your neck start to prickle. You feel you are being watched. You stand back, sword ready, watching for the leaves or any sign of movement. Then, three dark-skinned men step into view, each wearing only a crude loincloth. They are armed with stone clubs and long spears. But you are more alarmed to see that each wears a belt of shrunken human heads. The headhunters start to argue about who should kill you and earn the right to wear your head on his belt. Finally, one steps forward. Fight them one at a time. Unlike the massive crab, the headhunters are pretty weedy. First one is skill 6, stamina 6. The second is skill 7, stamina 6. And the third is skill 6 and stamina 7. So I shall... I imagine I have very little difficulty stabbing them to death. I am going to roll some dice. As I predicted, the headhunters provided only a momentary distraction. I stabbed them up, but good, and took no damage in the process, which is always pleasant, especially against such weedy opposition. The headhunters have no items of equipment on them, but they have a hide bag containing bananas and coconuts. You save your own provisions and eat the headhunter's food. Add one stamina point. I shall. Takes me to stamina 18. You wonder if their village is nearby and decide to climb a tree to get a better view. From the top you see smoke rising not far away in the southwest, perhaps from a village. Directly west you can see the trees gradually thin out. And away in the far northwest you can see the daunting shape of the volcano. You climb down from the tree and plan which way to head. Do you wish to keep going west, or would you rather go northwest in order to circumvent the smoke? I think we will circumvent that smoke. They might not be up to much, but if there's enough of them, they could prove problematic. So yes, we will say discretion, the better part of valour for now. You struggle on through the dense jungle and suddenly stumble over a human skeleton. Maggots and insects have long since devoured the flesh, but the clothing looks like that of a prisoner. Who must have tried to escape. You wonder how he or she died. There is a hand axe and some rope lying by the prisoner which you decide to take before continuing northwest. Being very wary of the vegetation, you stay alert, constantly looking about you. Halfway up a tree to your left you see a crude platform and a vine hanging down from it. Do you want to climb up the platform or would you rather press on? Last time we climbed up to a tree house it had an ape man in it and we almost broke both legs jumping to get away from him. However, I've learned nothing from that, and I'm shimmying right up to the platform. You have climbed about halfway up the vine when you see a head pop out over the edge of the platform. It belongs to an old man with grey hair who glares down at you, looking very angry. Go away, he cries, or you'll be sorry. Do you wish to continue climbing up the vine, or take his advice and slide down the vine to continue northwest? I mean, I feel like he might have a clue. He could just cut the vine, couldn't he, and send me crashing to the ground. No, it's about 18 stamina. I, I don't think this is going to be an instant death. So I'm going to play the percentages and climb the vine. As you continue your climb, the old man jumps into defensive action. 
A barrage of coconuts is hurled down at you, and although you tell him you mean no harm, he continues throwing down whatever is to hand, shrieking, Go away! at the top of his voice. And by the time you reach the platform, you've got a few painful lumps on your head. Lose one stamina point. Back down to 17. Now you see the man at the far side of the sheltered platform, standing nervously with a bamboo pole in his hands, wearing nothing but canvas shorts. Will you offer him some of your provisions? Leave him alone and continue northwest, or step on the platform and pull his bamboo pole away from him. We will offer him some provisions. The man's eyes light up at the mention of food. A man after my own heart. He puts down his pole and beckons you to sit down. As he devours your offering, we'll use one portion of provisions, which I think is a packet of bourbon biscuits. You tell him of your quest. He tells you that he was once a thief on the mainland, who was caught and sentenced by Prince Olaf to five years' imprisonment on Fire Island. After the Lizardmen began their rule of the island, he was forced to work in the gold mines. One day, however, he managed to escape and has lived in hiding in the jungle ever since. He thinks he is too old to brave a journey by raft to the mainland and is happy enough to live in his tree den. Again, I can empathise. You ask him if he has any information which might be of use to you, and he replies that he will willingly tell you all that he knows in exchange for some more food. If you wish to give him another portion of your provisions, you can, or you can threaten him. I can spare a lambooner. I say that, I've already, at this early stage, lost four provisions. But anyway, I, I hand, over the, uh, hand over the curry, and we'll see what he says. The old man takes the food and begins to draw a rough map of the island on a piece of cloth with some charcoal. He points to where you are now and also marks the site of the mine and the prison colony, which is where the Lizard King lives. You fold the map up and put it in your backpack. I've got a picture of it. The island is broadly lozenge-shaped. And there's, at the bottom of the lozenge, an X saying, you are here. Halfway up the lozenge, there's the gold mine. At the top of the lozenge, there's the prison colony. And to the side of that is the volcano. Not the most informative map I've ever seen, but still arguably better than Apple Maps. You fold the map up and put it in your backpack. Just as you are about to climb down the vine, the old man says, And for just a little bit more of your delicious food, I will give you something really useful. Do you wish to give him yet another portion of your provisions? No, but I'm going to anyway. That'll be half my provisions gone. I was looking forward to that cheese sandwich and all. Oh well, easy come, easy go. Five provisions down. The old man pulls a piece of bent wire out of his pocket and proudly hands it to you. He sees the puzzled expression on your face and exclaims, It's a picklock's wire. I used it to unlock my leg irons before escaping from the mines. Might come in handy if you're captured. You thank the old man and climb down the vine to continue northwest. Hacking your way through the plants and shrubs, you become aware of a buzzing sound above you. Hovering over you is the colourful but threatening shape of a giant dragonfly, its iridescent wings beating fast, yet keeping the dragonfly perfectly still. Suddenly it plunges down to attack you. The giant dragonfly has a skill of 8 and a stamina of 4. Back in a tick, I hope. We successfully defeated the giant dragonfly but it did get a little nip in on us reducing our stamina further to 15. Close to where the giant dragonfly now lies in a crumpled heap you see a patch of clam-shaped fungus attached to a rotting log. Do you wish to eat some of the fungus you can't identify or would you rather set off again through the undergrowth? Mystery fungus. Best case scenario. Nice mushrooms. Worst case scenario, hallucinations and instant death. 
I think we'll be setting off through the undergrowth, quite frankly. You decide that you have gone far enough northwest to avoid the headhunter's village and begin to cut your way directly west through the jungle. You have not gone far when you are surprised to enter a small clearing, completely free of vegetation. A large green crystal lies in the centre of the clearing, glowing and radiating heat. Would you like to walk round the crystal and continue west? Would you like to touch the crystal or try and chip a piece of the crystal with your sword? Call me paranoid, but I'm actually going to give the radioactive glowing crystal a bit of a miss. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to be touching that. I'm certainly not going to be trying to chip a piece off so that I can put it in my pocket and sterilise myself. So yes, we will walk round the crystal and continue west. As you continue to hack your way noisily through the lush vegetation, you are unaware of the six pygmies you have attracted, who are now following you. They surround you before coming into view, with their blowpipes aimed at your exposed flesh. Do you wish to communicate with them, or would you rather fight them? There is an illustration of the pygmies, which I think the kindest thing I can say is it's less racist than it might have been. Still a bit racist, but not as bad as I perhaps feared. I will try and communicate with them, though. I, the illustration doesn't make them look as though they're up to no good or anything, so I will try and communicate with them. The pygmies grunt and shout at you, but you don't understand their language. This is problematic. They obviously want something from you, but are not sure what. What do you have that you wish to give them? So the choices are a hand axe, an iron bar, provisions, or none of the above. Uh, a hand axe. They've got a sword. That's like an axe, isn't it? Basically, I'm not technical. They can have the hand axe. One of the pygmies steps forward and snatches the hand axe away from you. The others gather round him and start to chant. They seem very pleased with their acquisition, which they seem to regard as a religious artifact. Oh, it gets worse, doesn't it? This is not comfortable reading. Will you leave them and disappear west into the undergrowth? Ask for something in return or attack them with your sword? I will ask them for something in return. I'm not a charity. The pygmies look surprised at your audacity and begin to laugh. One of them steps forward and offers you some nuts and berries. Do you wish to eat them? I'm going to gamble that the pygmies' nuts and berries are just ordinary nuts and berries such as humans would eat because they are humans. So, yeah, let's, let's do this and see if we can bring this comfortable little detour to a close. The nuts and berries taste delicious. The pygmies know what is good to eat in the jungle. Add two stamina points. Suddenly, one of them utters a shrill cry, and they all vanish into the undergrowth. You breathe a sigh of relief, not as big as mine, mate, and begin again to hack your way west. Pressing on further west, you notice the ground is becoming wetter and softer. Soon you are ankle-deep in water. The trees thin out, and you find yourself wading through thick black mire. The marshlands stretch out in front of you as far as you can see. Suddenly, you hear the sound of squelching behind you, and you are surprised to see a strange creature run past you. It's been far too long since I said squelching. It's a lovely word to say. It is small, with green reptilian scales. Its arms are long and hang down to the ground, and it moves rapidly over the marsh on its webbed feet. It pays you no attention. Do you wish to call out to the creature, or keep trudging west? I mean, it's not hostile, so I guess it's already seen me and decided I'm fine. It might know a way through the marsh, so let's call out to it. The creature halts suddenly and looks over its shoulder to stare at you in bewilderment. Its wide mouth opens and a pink forked tongue darts out and recoils just as quickly. Its big eyes look full of sorrow. And then you realise the creature is a cunning marsh hopper. 
There's a nice little illustration of the marsh hopper complete with big butter wouldn't melt in my mouth eyes and yeah it does have that kind of pathetic aesthetic going for it there's also for some reason a vampire bat in the bottom right hand corner of the frame not sure why despite their pathetic appearance marsh hoppers will often lead unwary victims into the lairs of carnivorous marsh beasts for the price of a few scraps of meat However, no creature knows how to cross treacherous marshlands better than a marsh hopper. The marsh hopper beckons you with its head to follow it across the marsh. Do you wish to follow it? Or would you rather continue west alone? I will follow it on the basis that my plan is to get across the marsh, stab the carnivorous beast, and chase off the marsh hopper. That seems like a reasonable plan. Let's follow the tricksy little creature. There is a, there's a golem-esque vibe to it i have to say sinking knee deep in the slimy marsh you struggle to keep up with the agile marsh hopper suddenly it turns south and once again beckons you to follow do you wish to keep following the marsh hopper or do you want to keep heading west Um, hmm. well i'm committed to this plan now we follow the marsh hopper after a short while the marsh hopper turns west again you wonder whether it's tiring you out to lead you into a trap or whether it's picking the safest way through the marsh Your thoughts are soon answered as a massive beast rises out of the mire in front of you. It is a two-headed hydra which slithers towards you on its giant slug-like body, both its heads stretching forward to bite at you. Do you have a spear? I don't. So I think we're going to be fighting the hydra. There's an illustration of the hydra. It looks big and ugly and my brilliant plan of slaying the carnivorous beast may have been a trifle hubristic. Still, we shall see. The Hydra closes in on you. You reach for your sword and prepare to fight. So the left head has skill 9, stamina 9. The right head, skill 9, stamina 9 as well. Both heads make a separate attack on you each round, but you get to choose which one you will fight. Yeah, we're fighting them at the same time, perhaps unsurprisingly. I will see you, I hope, on the other side. Skill 9, stamina 9 each. This could be a bit tricky. So, I have defeated the Hydra in the end. It was, ooh, it was touch and go for a minute, particularly when there were still the two heads, because if you don't beat one of their attack strength, then you're losing four stamina every time they both they both beat you. So I got reduced down to stamina seven, and I spent a luck point to make a luck roll to try and do additional damage, which was successful, so that I could get it down to a one-on-one fight more quickly. But yeah, we're not looking too clever at this point. So I think uh, I think a packet of Maltesers would hit the spot right about now. So I'm going to eat one of my provisions, scarf down some Maltesers, taking me back to 11. Am I going to do another provisions? Yes, I am to take me back to 15. So we'll follow the Maltesers with a packet of scampi fries which is going from sweet to savoury but never mind and we're back to 15 stamina as the hydra sinks down into the black mire the marsh hopper takes flight his treachery revealed he runs off in great loping strides and is soon out of sight there's nothing else to do except trudge your way west However, you've not gone more than a hundred metres when you notice a turbulence in the water to your right. That infernal marsh hopper has led you into a section of the marsh seething with carnivorous life, swimming quickly towards you as a giant water snake. You must fight for your life in the marshlands yet again. And the giant water snake has a skill of six, 
stamina of five, and during each attack round you must reduce your attack strength by two because of your tiredness and lack of mobility compared with the snake. To be fair, that means my skill is always reduced by two in the real world because I'm always so very tired. So, uh, gonna roll some dice. Okay, we have defeated the giant water snake. Um, it took a little nip out of us, so we're now down to 13 stamina. And I very much hope that this is the last fight we've got in the marshlands, but we shall find out. You sheath your sword and set off west again. Gradually the ground becomes firmer underfoot, and soon you're out of the water and walking across a muddy plain. Thank goodness. Ahead you see two hills, and you decide to walk towards the gorge dividing them. The ground rises and you are at last away from the difficult terrain. The jungle and the marsh are behind you. Grass and flowers make the island appear lush and beautiful, but you know you cannot afford to relax. It is not long before you reach the gorge and see that it runs between several hills in a westerly direction. If you wish to walk down the gorge, you can, or would you rather climb the hills to your right? Gorge, to me, smacks of an ambush. If I was going to ambush someone, I'd probably do it in a gorge. Probably in a gorge. So I'm going to climb the hills to the right, the last thing they'll be expecting. You walk along the side of the hill, following the route of the gorge. Looking over to the hill on the far side of the gorge, you suddenly see a landslide start, sending rocks and boulders crashing into the gorge. Although you're not enjoying the tiring climb, you are relieved that you weren't in the gorge. Add one luck point. Splendid. If you still wish to walk along the side of the hill above the gorge, you can, or you can risk walking down the gorge. I'm going to stay in the hills. The side of the hill is quite steep and you lose your footing on some scree. You tumble over and slide down the hill. Test your luck. I am unlucky. Gathering momentum, you cannot stop yourself from rolling over and over into the gorge below. You land heavily with a sickening thump. Lose two stamina points. You stand up, dust yourself off and decide to walk down the gorge after all. The game book giveth and the game book taketh away. Back down to eight luck and eleven stamina. In the fine sand on the ground you notice traces of old footprints leading out of the gorge. They end abruptly in front of you and there are signs of a struggle. Two pairs of footprints lead back down the gorge with two straight lines behind them as though the owners have dragged a body behind them. As you follow the trail of the footprints, you catch sight of a shiny object in the sand. Do you love a shiny object? You prod it with your foot and see an oval snuffbox made of brass. Picking it up, you see that it has a hinged lid. Do you want to open the snuffbox, or would you rather throw it back in the dust and continue to follow the footprints? I will open the snuffbox, obviously. Inside the snuffbox, you find a small gold nugget. Treasure. That's the first treasure we've found and a piece of paper with a message scrawled in charcoal which reads, If you read this, it will mean that I have failed in my attempt to escape from the slave mines of the Lizard King. My raft is hidden beyond the gorge where the plain meets the river. If you're here to help us, please follow the river upstream until you see the mud huts. Slave mines are nearby, but beware, the Lizard Man guards. You fold the piece of paper, put it in your pocket together with the gold nuggets and continue to follow the footprints. Handy clue. The ground underfoot becomes rockier and the footprint trail you've been following disappears. In the distance you hear a faint rumbling. Could it be the yawning of an awakening volcano? 
You hurry on down the gorge, but are stopped in your tracks by the sight of a huge reptile blocking your path. You stare incredulously at the armoured beast, which appears some six metres in length. It is a giant lizard, and it sees you as a source of food. You must fight it. Of course we must. Giant lizard has a skill of eight and a stamina of nine. I'm going to roll some dice again. I have defeated the giant lizard. It got a bit of a, a snap in, so I'm going to pause for a fish finger sandwich before making my way onwards, which means my stamina, which was down to nine, is now back up to 13. Eight provisions used for those keeping track at home, which means I guess I gave away three, but I've eaten, yeah, probably more meals than you're supposed to eat in a 24-hour period. I, I foresee indigestion in my character's future. Still, on we go. You step round the huge body of the giant lizard and press on down the gorge. At last, the gorge widens out to become a grassy plain, and the hills are soon behind you. Not far away, some ten metres to your left, you see a pond where many birds are drinking. Would you like to drink at the pond, or would you rather continue west? I mean, fresh water might conceivably get me a few stamina points back, so I need all the help I can get at this point, so I'm going to try and drink from the pond. There's not much that's not poisonous to birds but is poisonous to humans as far as i know and quote me on that please don't take medical advice from a middle-aged man talking to himself but yeah i'm pretty sure that if the birds are drinking from it it'll be all right for me so i am going to go and, and try and get some of that sweet sweet stamina that i need so much the water in the pool looks cool and refreshing although you're a little perturbed at the layer of green algae which floats on the surface as you bend down to drink a jet of liquid shoots out of the pond towards you from a wide green mouth which suddenly appears in the water. Roll two dice. Is the number the same or less than your skill? I should be pretty okay with this, with my skill of 11. And I am. I get a 5. And there is a nice illustration of the pond with what looks to be a toad creature spitting water into the foreground. You duck below the jet of liquid and jump back to draw your sword. You stand ready to dodge the next sticky acid being spat at you by the huge spit toad in the pool. Suddenly it leaps out of the water in an attempt to kill you with its spiked teeth. It'll have a job because the spit toad has got a skill of five and a stamina of six. Once again, I'm going to roll some dice. Yup, I stabbed that spit toad up but good, so... We can go onwards. You sheathe your sword and walk over to the edge of the pool. Do you still want to drink the water or would you rather head off west again? I'm going to drink the water. I, I, I killed for this water. Churlish not to. The water is refreshing to drink. Add one stamina point. That was a, a lot of fuss for a very minor buff, but I'll take it. While drinking, you notice a wooden casket lying on the bottom of the pool. Do you want to wade into the pool to reach the casket or just head off west again? We've been doing well on stuff that's inside other things so far, this adventure. So I think we will have a wade into that because it might be something worthwhile in there. Knowing that spit toads never share their watery domains with others, you wade confidently into the pool and pick up the casket. Back on dry land, you prise the lid off with your sword and tip the contents onto the grass. Glass vial containing a coloured liquid, a velvet pouch, a pair of red leather boots and a gold ring. Now then, some of these items might be helpful and some of them might be cursed. I am going to open the pouch first. You open the pouch and look inside. 
but cannot see anything. It is totally black inside, like most pouches then. You decide to drop a stone into the bag to see what happens. The stone disappears from view and the pouch does not become any heavier. You found a pouch of unlimited contents. Add one luck point. Luck back to nine. The pouch will enable you to carry large and heavy objects simply by placing them inside. These objects are actually transported to another dimension and will weigh nothing inside the pouch, but can be retrieved at any time. If you've not done so already, you can drink the liquid, try on the boots, or put the ring on your finger. So, at least one of these is bad. We will drink the liquid in the vial. That's been fine so far. You have swallowed a potion of clumsiness. At the beginning of any future combat, there's a possibility you might drop your sword as you unsheathe it. Before you start the first attack round, roll one die. If you roll one, you will drop your sword and automatically lose the first attack round. Whoops. Um, hmm. Am I going to push my luck further? I will try the boots. Boots are usually good. Rings are usually bad. I'm not going to try the rings, but I am going to try the boots. The boots fit your feet perfectly. You run around in a circle, but nothing good or untoward happens, so you decide to leave them on. Shiny new boots. If you've not done so, you can do the liquid, open the pouch, or put the ring on your finger. Well, I'm not going to do the ring on my finger. I feel like I've had bad luck with rings in the past. Although, there was a wish ring I literally needed to get past a bit in, in Death Trap Dungeon. But that's one that I should have won in a contest. So no, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the ring. To your left, you see movement. A small creature is running across the plain. As it approaches, you see that it is a small pig. The thought of roast-suckling pig makes your mouth water. Do you have a spear? I do not. You run off after the pig, waving your sword in the air, but it is too agile. It scurries across the plain and is soon out of view. You slow down to a walking pace and continue west, still thinking about the succulent roast dinner that you might have had. I really don't think I need any more food today. I've eaten a lot. In the distance, you see rising grounds and beyond in the northwest, the ever-daunting shape of the sleeping volcano. It is not long before you reach the bushy bank of a river running slowly southeast. On the far side, the ground is quite steep and tree-covered. Did you read the message in the snuffbox? Yes, I did. For once, I'm ahead, so we will hopefully have something good happen. You start to search amongst the bushes for the hidden raft, and before long, you find it. You drag it into the river and climb aboard. The river is not deep, and you're able to push the raft upriver against the light current quite easily with the long pole. You have not gone far before you realise that you are not safe, even aboard your raft. You see a pair of eyes protruding from the water ahead of you, and suddenly a huge jaw lined with sharp teeth gapes open. With great force, the crocodile slams into your raft, almost knocking you off it. The crocodile thrashes around in the water, its jaws opening and snapping shut in its desperation to bite you. Do you have an iron bar? I'm trying to think that the iron bar was a very handy item to have picked up. Sadly, I don't have it, so let's see what the future holds. Standing precariously on the rocking raft, you draw your sword to attack the vicious crocodile, which has a skill of six and a stamina of seven. So, once again, I'm going to roll some dice. I have defeated the crocodile without taking so much as a scratch, which is nice. You pick up your pole and push your raft away from the floating carcass of the crocodile. 
unless you possess a pouch of unlimited contents, it's a bag of holding, we all know it's a bag of holding, into which you can put them, your spear and axe, if you have either of these, will have rolled off the raft during the battle with the crocodile. Well, I have a pouch of unlimited contents. I don't have either of those items, to be fair. So I guess uh, I'm chalking that up as a small win. Like, theoretically, a good thing would have happened to me had I had either of the things that were going to fall off the raft. Anyway, onwards. On the right bank of the river, you see a man dressed in tattered clothing. He is waving his arms around frantically and calling out to you. He looks as if he could be an escaped prisoner. Do you wish to steer your raft over to the man, or would you rather keep pushing on up the river? Uh, there's an illustration. He looks pretty concerned. And he does look pretty ragged, so I think we'll steer over to the man. As soon as you are close enough, the man leaps onto the raft. His eyes look wild and he is sweating profusely. He is delirious with fever and it is impossible to communicate with him. Suddenly he pulls a dagger from his clothing and tries to stab you. You do not have time to draw your sword and are forced to fight him with your bare hands. So the delirious prisoner has a skill of six and a stamina of five. And I've got to reduce my attack strength by three because I'm fighting empty-handed. And when I win my second attack round, something interesting is going to happen. So, I'm going to roll some dice. So, I won my second attack round. He did no damage to me. I'm apparently pretty good with my fists. You punch the man full in the face and knock him into the river. He screams, but does not try and climb back on board the raft. You feel guilty about leaving him, but you must press ahead with your mission. So, I've beaten him half to death and chucked him in a river. Better than beating him fully to death, I suppose. He's got at least a faint chance. The river meanders gently through the low hills. As you sweep round the next bend, you see a group of mud huts close to the left bank. You steer the raft into the bank to avoid being seen by any of the hut's inhabitants. Jumping off, you creep forwards through the trees to get a better view of the huts. Standing behind one of the huts, you see two tall reptilian creatures wearing armour and carrying whips and curved swords. Lizard men. Have you read the message in the snuff box? I surely have. But uh, it's a lovely illustration. The lizard men look really threatening. They've got horns. They've got kind of ridges along their back and tails. They really do look more lizard than man, which I think is, is really important. They don't look like just people with lizard heads stuck on them. They look like lizards with human arms sort of stuck on them, which I think is a much stronger look. Mud huts. Lizardmen guards, you realise the gold mines must be nearby. Do you want to walk past the huts to find the mines, or would you rather deal with the lizardmen first? I'm going to try and avoid the lizardmen because of the number of times I've been stabbed. Behind the huts, a path leads through the trees to the rocky face of a steep hill. In the centre of the rock face, you see the square shape of a mine entrance leading into the hill. There are many footprints leading in and out of the mine. You step carefully inside, keeping close to the wall. The tunnel is lit by torches which cast eerie shadows all around. You sense that you are walking downhill and soon arrive at a junction. Do you wish to turn left or to turn right? We always go left. And although part of me would like to go right, I'm going to stick with tradition. It's another binary choice. There's no clues, really. One is as good as another. I'm not going to agonise about it. We'll go left. The tunnel continues straight ahead until you arrive at the edge of a vertical downward shaft. A wooden ladder is secured to the side of it, but you cannot see down to the bottom. Do you want to climb down the ladder or return to the junction and walk past it to the other end of the tunnel? I'll climb down the ladder, I reckon. Again, no obvious clues. 
Stepping carefully down the ladder, you eventually reach the bottom of the shaft. In the dim light, you see a new tunnel from which you hear the faint sound of singing. As you walk down the tunnel, the singing grows louder. You also hear the sound of stone being hammered. Suddenly you hear footsteps behind you. Do you want to hide in the shadows or turn to face whoever is approaching? Hide in the shadows, I think. You crouch down in the darkest recess you can find in the wall. The footsteps draw nearer and then you see a lizard man carrying an iron pail. It walks past without noticing you, complaining to itself about the weight of the pail. You follow it down the tunnel at a safe distance. Have you drunk a potion of clumsiness? Yes, I have. Yes. You stumble over a stone on the floor and drop your sword as you try and stop yourself from falling. Test your luck. I am lucky. Dropping my luck back down to eight. The lizard man must be almost deaf as it does not hear you drop your sword and continues walking up the tunnel. You pick up your sword and follow. A nice callback that, you know, the potion of clumsiness having an effect other than the combat effect. Quite like that. The noise of singing voices and iron hitting rock is quite loud. You must be close to where the slaves are working. You decide to run quietly up behind the lizard man and deal with it. You grab a stone and run forward. The lizard man hears you, but too late to stop you from bringing the stone down hard on the back of its head. As it crashes to the floor, you catch its pail, thinking it might contain much needed water for the thirsty slaves. You walk on until a tunnel opens into a chamber. Why did I pick up? A stone when I'm already armed with a pointy thing. Seems a bit redundant. Never mind. What you see inside the chamber fills you with rage. Six dwarves stripped to the waist and chained together like animals are toiling with hammers at a rock face. An armoured lizard man urges them to work faster, occasionally lashing one of them across the back with its bullwhip. You put the pail down and run forward to attack the lizard man. So, uh, another lovely illustration. The Lizard Man looks suitably demonic. It's uh, an Ian Livingstone book, so, yep, we got some dwarves. So, uh, anyone who was keeping their Ian Livingstone bingo card and had dwarf and old man can tick off both of those for this one. Yes, so the Lizard Man has a skill of eight, stamina of seven, and if I'm still alive after two attack rounds, something interesting happens. Wouldn't that be nice? I'm going to roll some dice. Okay, I survived the requisite two attack rounds. Uh, I stabbed the lizard man and he stabbed me. My stamina is now 12. The dwarves, suddenly encouraged by the possibility of freedom, turn to help you slay the guard with their hammers. The lizard man falls to the ground under a barrage of blows and the dwarves begin to cheer. They smash open their shackles and gather round to thank you and to quench their thirst with the water in the pail. You tell them of your quest to kill the lizard king. They all offer to help. You ask them where the other prisoners are and hear that they're working in other chambers deeper in the mines. You tell the dwarves to lead you there as quickly as possible. Taking the lizard man's cloak to disguise yourself, you form the dwarves into a line so that it appears that you're in charge of a chain gang of slaves. You crack the whip with a smile and set off down the tunnel. You follow the dwarves down endless tunnels, deeper and deeper into the mine. As you pass by another tunnel branch, you see a lizard man walking along it towards you. Test your luck. I am lucky. My luck is now down to seven, so I will also quaff my potion of luck to get it up to ten. So I am lucky. What happens to lucky lucky me? The approaching lizard man is not suspicious of you or your gang of dwarves, and you pass by without any trouble. 
The dwarves walk quickly through the tunnels, their knowledge of the complex network acquired through months of slavery. They finally come to a halt, and one of them whispers to you that another group of prisoners is working around the next bend. You hear the dull sounds of picks and hammers hitting rock. You tell the dwarves that they should walk on, and that you will signal to them the moment they should attack the prisoners' guards. They walk round the bend, and you see a group of men and elves chained together working at a rock face. Two orc guards are yelling at them to work faster. They look surprised to see you, but they do not see through your disguise until you're almost alongside them. They scream a battle cry and draw their swords. Test your luck. Good job I quaff that potion, oh luck, I think. I am unlucky. Of course I'm unlucky. Once again, I got complacent. One of the orcs swings at you with its sword, and you must fight it. The orc guard has a skill of seven, and a stamina of seven. I'm going to roll some dice. I have defeated the orc guard. It did not lay a finger upon me, which is nice. This is a very, very fighty book. The elves and men cheer when the second orc is slain. The dwarves break their chains and now you have 14 friends to help you finish your quest. One of them is from Oyster Bay and despite his joy at the prospect of freedom, he's saddened by the news of Mungo's death. Armed with their own tools of slavery, the prisoners ask you to lead them to attack the stone fort used as the prison camp where the Lizard King still resides, protected by his mutant slaves and elite guards. You agree to do so and set off again through the tunnels to release the rest of the slave miners. Roll one die. Different things happen depending on what I roll. There's no point in even telling you what I roll. You just have to take on faith that there are three choices and it's randomly determined. So let's do that. So I roll a three. By the time you have found all the prisoners and released them, you will have lost two stamina points in battle. If you are still alive, you are now the leader of 63 dedicated followers eager for revenge. Could be worse. I think we're getting into the, uh, the latter stages of this story. So I am going to scoff my remaining provisions and trust that an American-style hot dog and some braised fennel will get me up to stamina 18. You lead your band of fighters out of the mines and attack the mud huts where the guards live. The last of them is soon slain, and the former prisoners begin to celebrate by cheering and singing. An old dwarf begins a jig and is soon encircled by a clapping, happy audience. Nothing more terrifying than a fantasy world in which folk dancing is a legitimate form of entertainment. For the moment, all suffering and troubles are forgotten. While everybody is still revelling in their freedom, an elf comes up to you and asks to speak with you alone. You walk away from the others to listen to what the elf has to say. With a worried expression on his face, he tells you that an attack on the Lizard King's fort would be suicidal for the sake of power and near immortality. The Lizard King has allowed a hideous parasite, the Gonchong, to attach itself to his head. With the Gonchong's proboscis implanted firmly in his brain, the Lizard King remains invincible, telepathically controlling his mutant warriors. To kill the Lizard King, the Gonchong must first be destroyed, but only the island's shaman knows the secret of its magical powers. It cannot be harmed without knowledge of how to break the link with its host. Alas, the elf has never seen the shaman in his four years on the island. Shamans live solitary lives away from the other natives, practicing their elemental craft. You thank the elf for his information and walk back to the others, raising your arms to silence them. You explain about the Gonchong and tell them that you are going to find the shaman alone. It would be impossible to track him down in a group, for 
reasons. You tell them to make their own way to the fort and that you will meet them there to lead the attack in one or two days' time. They reluctantly agree to your plan, and you set off immediately to find the shaman. You walk down to the river and jump on your raft. Progress against the current is slow, as the river narrows and the waters run faster. Do you still wish to journey by raft, or would you rather walk overland? I feel like I'd probably rather walk overland. Yeah, we'll go overland. I have a morbid fear of drowning. I do not wish Arkham von Moisspot to drown. Yeah, it will be awful, so we will walk. You steer the raft over to the right-hand bank and jump off. The terrain all around is tree-covered hillside with plenty of rocks and bushes to make walking quite arduous. You look around and decide to head off towards the volcano, as it might be an ideal place for the shaman to hide, if the shaman's an idiot. After trudging your way through the undergrowth, you suddenly notice a strange-looking bush. It has wide leaves with crimson tips and fruit like giant raspberries hanging from its branches. Do you want to eat some of the obvious death fruit, or would you rather keep walking? I think I'm going to keep walking. You notice a bulging sack hanging from the branch of a tree on the end of a piece of rope. Do you wish to cut the sack down, or would you rather keep walking? I mean, obviously I'm going to cut the sack down. Presumably it's a bag of spiders, but... I've just got to know what's in it. You open the sack carefully in case it contains a poisonous snake, but you're surprised and pleased to see food inside. Honeycomb, wheat cakes and fruit. Do you wish to eat the food or rather save it for later and set off again? I will save it for later. Yeah, I'll save it for later. So that gets me, I guess, one more provisions. As the day wears on, the sun gradually sinks into the western horizon. It sits like a big red balloon on the sea next to the volcano before falling out of sight. The sunset shades of pink and purple radiate across the sky and soon the air is filled with the noisy sound of a thousand insects. You decide to camp down for the night between two bushes, hoping to remain hidden from any nocturnal predator. Test your luck. Good job I swigged that potion of luck. Yeah, I'm a lucky boy. The night passes without incident and you wake early to continue your quest. It is soon hot and you are a little concerned that your water bottle is nearly empty. You search for water and eventually find a shallow pool of rainwater in a rock basin. You drink your fill and top up your water bottle. You're about to set off again when you notice some chalk marks on the rocks by the pool. Do you wish to read them? Yes, yes I do. Chalk marks. Unlikely to harm me. The marks are a simple request written by the shaman you are seeking. I ask you to find a feather and tie it in your hair, if you wish peaceful contact with him. You wonder how the shaman knows you are looking for him. You realise it's important to find a feather. You set off immediately to find one. You are walking in a determined way towards the volcano, when a large creature springs out in front of you from behind a rock. Its grotesque torso is covered with ugly warts and saliva drools down its long chin. You've been ambushed by a hill troll. Hill troll has a skill of nine and a stamina of nine. And unless I am wearing Sog's helmet, which I'm not, I will lose the first attack round. I will roll some dice. I have defeated the troll. The illustration for the troll is another really, really nice one. It's got the slightly smoking volcano framed in the background and it looks suitably grotesque. And the drool is particularly well realised. You set off again, hoping to find the shaman soon. You notice a few tufts of grass tied in knots and guess that he is not far away. You wonder if he knows you are near and stop to look around. There is no sign of life, merely a dead seagull lying on the rock to your right. Kerching. I've never been so pleased to see a dead seagull in my life. 
In fact, I'll go further and say, other than this, I don't think I've ever been pleased to see a dead seagull. You walk over to the seagull and pluck a feather from its wing. Using twine from your backpack, you tie the feather to the back of your head and walk on feeling a little self-conscious. Fortunately, in real life, I'm a ginger, so I'm pretty much used to that. Halfway up the side of the hill to your left, you see the entrance to a cave. The rocks all around the mouth of the cave are painted in bright colours, but each one has a skull resting on top of it. Do you wish to climb up to the cave or walk on towards the volcano? I'll climb up to the cave, please. Climbing up the hill, your foot catches an unseen piece of twine tied between two small piles of rock. The rocks tumble over, alerting the occupant of the cave to the presence of an intruder. A wild-eyed cavewoman appears in the mouth of the cave, wearing furs and carrying a spear and a stone club. She steps forward and hurls her spear at you. Test your luck. Lucky, just. Luck is now seven, so I don't envisage this happy state of affairs continuing for much longer. There is a picture of the cavewoman, kind of a bit like... Ursula Andrus in One Million Years BC, if you've seen that. It is kind of a furry bikini that she's wearing, although thankfully she does have a sensible cloak as well. The spear whistles past your head, clattering to the rocks behind you. The cavewoman grunts in anger and runs forward to attack you with her club. Cavewoman, first woman I think we've encountered in this entire story, has a skill of five and a stamina of five. Hi, I'm going to roll some dice! have, perhaps unsurprisingly, killed the cavewoman with consumities. You walk up to the hill and step inside the cave. It smells of rotten food and stale body odour. A few possessions are strewn all over the floor amidst the rubbish. You are about to leave the cave when you catch sight of a small clay bowl, almost hidden in a recess behind the cavewoman's fur bedding. The bowl contains red powder. Do you want to dab some on your face, swallow some of it, or leave the cave without touching it? I mean, the odd one out here is going to dab some on your face, so that's what I'm going to do. The powder is not only decorative, but also magical. It belonged to a wizard who was press-ganged into slavery by the lizard men. However, before he went into the mines, the wizard discarded the bottle containing the powder, hoping that somebody might find it. It was discovered by the cavewoman, who did nothing with it except empty it into her clay bowl. The powder will protect you from any personal being who tries to control your mind. Get in. Add two luck points. Get in again. With nothing else of interest in the cave and you decide to leave. You walk back down the hill and turn left towards the volcano. You eventually reach the foot of the volcano but still see no sign of the shaman. You look up and see the gigantic black mountain reaching up towards the sky. You wonder when next it might erupt into life, belching out clouds of ash and streams of red-hot lava. You banish the thoughts from your mind and decide which way to head. You want to climb straight up the side of the volcano, or would you rather walk around the foot? I think we'll have a little wander around the foot first. As you walk along, you become aware of a strong smell of sulphur in the air. You soon arrive at the edge of a giant pool of thick, Yellow mud with large gas bubbles breaking through its surface and making unpleasant plopping sounds. The pool must be quite hot, judging by the heat radiating from it. Lying in a strange nest of stones and sticks, you see two large eggs that look like melons. The shells are yellow and wrinkled, and you have no idea what creature might have laid them by the side of the sulphur pool to incubate. Do you want to take a closer look at the death eggs? Would you rather climb up the volcano? I'm going to go up the volcano because I think the eggs are full of horrible things that has a taste for really hot 
weather and sulphur. On a level piece of ground you see a circle of polished stones which contains a pile of artefacts, a bracelet, a clay doll, a tin mug and a buckle, just some of the things that are lying on the ground. Perhaps it is a collection place for gifts to the shaman from his visitors. Do you wish to place one of your own items in the stone circle? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, the only thing I'm prepared to give up, to be fair, is my gold nugget. So the shaman done pretty well out of me. A line of rocks suddenly turns red leading up the side of the volcano. You decide to follow the trail of the red rocks. The head of a man suddenly pops up from behind a boulder, his hair adorned with coloured beads and feathers. He steps warily from behind the boulder, holding a feathered staff in one hand and two animal bones in the other. It is the island's medicine man, the shaman you are seeking. Are you wearing a feather in your hair? I am. There is an illustration. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's what you would expect from that description. Kind of racist. But I'm wearing a feather in my hair, so this particular cultural stereotype will hopefully treat me with friendliness. The shaman listens intently as you explain about the Lizard King and your mission to destroy him. You tell him that you wish to know how to kill a parasitic Gonchong, thus reducing the Lizard King's power. The shaman jumps in the air on hearing the word Gonchong, obviously not realising that there was one on the island. In fractured sentences, which mean that the shaman is less good at speaking than the lizard men. The shaman explains that for him to share some of his secret magic with you, you must first earn the right, no matter how noble your mission is. He tells you that the test will be disturbing and painful. If you agree to the shaman's terms, you can go on with the test or you can try without. I think we're probably going to have to try and go along with his terms. He's calling the shots on this one. The shaman tells you that you must pass three different tests from a choice of six, like a restaurant and asks which you would like to take first. So we've got luck, fear, pain, revulsion, strength and dexterity. So I've got a skill of 11, and a stamina of 16 and some spare provisions. I'm going to scoff my spare provisions, take my stamina up to 20. Something like a nice carbonara to restore your health. Uh, and we'll go for the strength first, I think. And I was right to eat that carbonara. The shaman points at a boulder and asks you to lift it. You wrap your arms around it as far as you can and heave. Roll two dice is the total less than your stamina. Well, I don't need to roll the dice because my stamina is 20. So I successfully heft the stone. Slowly but surely you lift the huge boulder off the ground. The shaman signals for you to drop it, satisfied with your strength. You have passed the test. What will you try next? Well, go for dexterity. The shaman hands you a dagger and tells you to throw it at an orange, which he places on top of a rock. Two dice. If the total is less than your skill, you succeed. Skill of 11. I succeed admirably. You take careful aim and release the dagger. It flies perfectly straight and sinks into the orange, knocking it off the rock. You have passed this test. So we now have luck, fear, pain and revulsion. Okay, we'll go for pain. I've got a very high pain tolerance, so I'm assuming that Arkham Von Moist Spot is the same, because uh, that's clearly how these things work. The shaman hands you his two bones, telling you to hold one in each hand. All of your muscles immediately start to bulge, and then you feel as though your insides are expanding. You believe you are going to burst, and the pain is excruciating. Do you want to beg the shaman to stop the pain? No, because that's literally the point of the trial, is to bear the pain. So I'm just going to grit my teeth and try and bear it. 
You are about to pass out from the pain when the shaman steps forward and takes the bones from you. You have passed the test. And I've now passed three tests, so we can go onwards and find what we need to know. The shaman is satisfied that you have earned the right to learn his secrets. He rolls his eyes up into his head and stands perfectly still with his arms outstretched. In a trance, he begins to describe the parasitic gonchong. Its appearance is like a giant harvest spider, only its proboscis connects into the brain of its host, in this case the Lizard King. To kill it, the proboscis must be severed within seconds of its host being killed. Otherwise, it might leap onto an assailant in a desperate attempt to find a new host. But while it controls him, the Lizard King remains almost invincible. Unharmed by normal weapons, only fire swords can injure the host of a gonchong. The Lizard King uses them himself, but his collection has an illusion spell cast on them to make them appear as rusty old knives, so that no one would steal them. Using a fire sword and controlled by the Gonchong, the Lizard King is a deadly fighter. Only one creature can scare him, a monkey. Lizard men suffer from an innate fear of monkeys, even if controlled by a Gonchong. The shaman slowly comes out of his trance and points to the southeast, saying, The prison colony lies in that direction. You bid him farewell and walk down the side of the volcano towards the Lizard King's stronghold. Lot to unpack there. I think if I was only harmable by fire swords, I don't think I'd keep any in the house, really. I think I'd find a different sword, like just an ordinary sword. I think if I'm basically invulnerable to anything except a fire sword, I can probably manage to fight with a normal sword pretty well. Still, the monkey is a nice, a nice touch. You walk quickly southeast, eager to meet up with the freed slaves. You soon arrive at the edge of a ravine which is too wide for you to jump over. You walk east, infuriated by the time you are wasting. Ahead you see a stone arch traversing the ravine, but an armoured hobgoblin is standing guard. Will you try and bluff your way across, offer him a gold nugget, or attack him with your sword? There is an illustration of the hobgoblin. I genuinely think that there is no monster in the fighting fantasy universe whose illustrations are less coherent than the hobgoblins. In the past, they've sometimes been spindly little creatures, whereas this one is a kind of bulky, slightly toad-like looking creature. It's a really nice illustration. It looks proper menacing, but not like any of the hobgoblins I've seen in the fighting fantasy books. I guess I'll try and bluff my way across the stone archway. The hobgoblin is obviously very stupid, as he believes you to be one of the Lizard King's guards. He thrusts out his pike and says in a deep voice, What is the password? What will you reply? What? Gonchong or Fire Island? Go Gonchong? The word Gonchong strikes fear into the hobgoblin. He shrieks in terror and hurls his pike at you. Test your luck. Should have just attacked him. I am lucky. But my luck feels like an increasingly precious resource as we move into the end game. But I am lucky. So the pike misses you and the hobgoblin runs away panic-stricken. You cross the archway quickly to stand on the other side of the ravine. Cool. Managed to avoid a fight. So, after managing to avoid a fight, once again you head off southeast, walking over sand and rock. Riding towards you on a dinosaur-like steed is a heavily armoured reptilian. It is a mutant lizard man, riding a Styracosaurus, a Styracosaurus. The lizard man urges his mount into a trot to attack you. Styracosaurus has a skill of 11 and a stamina of 10, and it looks a bit like a Triceratops, but yeah, it's got that kind of 
big bony ridge but it's, it's not quite like a triceratops it's a good illustration good illustration the artwork's been of a very high caliber actually in this book so oh, this is going to be a tough old fight but once again i'm going to roll some dice okay i have defeated the styracosaurus did six points of damage to me taking my stamina down to a faintly worrying 14 now i have to fight the rider apparently the mutant lizard man jumps off the dead styracosaurus and lumbers over to you with his halberd outstretched skill nine stamina nine gonna roll some dice i have defeated the mutant lizard man i took two points of damage reducing my stamina to 12 but i have one i have one the mutant has a shield which you decide to take as it is light yet strong add one skill point oh wow skill now 12 this is exciting the prison colony cannot be too far away and you waste no more time in setting off again your legs brush against a thorny bush instantly drawing blood have you drunk the aniseed tasting liquid from the jug in the hut on the beach yes i have oh this is getting kind of exciting now although the bush has poison tip thorns you come to no harm you walk on oblivious to the danger which has passed let me sense i'm starting to get really like into this now yeah this this is it's going quite well lying dead face down in the scrub is a seaman perhaps one of the crew of a pirate ship killed by the mutant lizard man a monkey strains to escape from a chain held by the dead man's hand it's a lovely little illustration of the monkey which looks suitably panicked do you want to take the monkey with you yes yes i do onwards with monkey in tow the monkey sits happily on your shoulder and you set off again in the company of your new friend doll it's nice over the scrubland and one more hill and you find yourself overlooking a green valley a stone fortress lies in the middle of the valley its striped flag fluttering in the breeze oh the lizard men have their own flag nice at last you have found the prison colony you are about to walk down into the valley when you hear a growl behind you. It is a huge saber-toothed tiger held on a rope by a blonde girl with wild feline eyes. She stares at you inquisitively as the tiger strains on its leash. As an illustration, the tiger looks quite menacing, although I'm not convinced that the muzzle's very tiger-like. And the woman looks incredibly like Ursula Andress in 1 million years BC. She is literally just wearing the furry bikini i will try and talk to her after saying a few words you realize the girl cannot understand you perhaps she was left on fire island as a child and has become as wild as the animals she cowers back uttering a few sounds to the tiger it's obviously wise to leave her alone and so you back off slowly hoping not to scare her at a safe distance you turn and walk quickly into the valley to reconnoiter with the freed slaves once on the valley floor you make your way over to a copse of trees as soon as you enter the copse familiar faces suddenly appear from behind the trees the dwarves elves and men that you rescued from the mines are waiting here for your arrival pleased to see them again you tell them of what has happened since you last saw them you tell them that the fort should be attacked immediately and that you will deal with the lizard king yourself you call them all together and lead them out of the copse into the valley as you run towards the stone fort you see its wooden gate open the lizard king is sending a battalion of guards and mutants out to fight you daylight charge across the minefield is what this sort of starts to feel like uh, your small army has soon locked swords with the lizard king's soldiers 
I mean, there's a lovely illustration of the various lizards on dinosaurs and mutants and goblins. And yes, they look pretty terrifying. Now I have to roll a dice to find out what happens to my army, I guess. With your sword raised high, you lunge at your nearest foe. It is a hobgoblin. The hobgoblin has a skill of six and a stamina of five. Am I going to roll some dice? I have killed the hobgoblin, which is no surprise, um, since its skill is literally half mine now that I've got my nice shiny shield. So let's see what happens next. I am on tenderhooks. You look round to see how the battle is going. Many of your fellow fighters are slain and the rest are in retreat. Do you have the Horn of Valhalla? I do not. The battle is going badly for you as more of your men fall under the onslaught of the Lizard King's fanatical troops. You see their leader behind the lines urging them on with howling battle cries. It is a huge cyclops wearing plate mail and carrying a mighty battle axe. You must defeat it in order to rally your men. This is a great illustration. The cyclops looks absolutely monstrous and you can see it towering over the lizard men behind it. It's got this kind of big shock of crazy hair and this double-handed battle axe. And yeah, very intimidating. Uh, very intimidating also in terms of its stat line as it has a skill of 10 and a stamina of 10. So guess what? That's right. I'm going to roll some dice. Cyclops, Schmyclops. I took the big beefy boy out, taking only two points of stamina damage in the process. Your men are encouraged by the death of the Cyclops, who it turns out did not like it up him, and push forward with a new heart. As the Lizard King's troops start to fall back, you break through their lines and run to the wooden gates of the fort. You enter the inner courtyard and see two sets of doors leading into the building. Do you wish to walk through the double doors on your left, or would you rather try the doors straight ahead? You know me. Given the option, I go left. The doors open into a corridor which runs to the left and right in front of you. Prison cells with iron-barred doors line the far wall of the corridor. Looking left, the corridor comes to a dead end, and so you turn right. In the end cell, by a wooden door, you see a frail old man sitting on a wooden bench, his leg chained to the wall. His cell door is open, but the wooden door leading out into the corridor is firmly locked. Do you want to try and free the old man or open the wooden door? I will try and free the old man. As you enter his cell, you are surprised that the old man remains silent. Are you wearing a ring of confusion? I am not. As you reach the old man, he starts to metamorphosize before your eyes. Green spikes burst through his clothing and his mouth becomes a pair of slathering jaws lined with razor-sharp teeth. He is not a man, but a shape-changer, and you must fight him. I mean, that's a low-down dirty trick, isn't it? So, uh, skill of ten, stamina of ten. See you on the other side, I'm going to roll some dice. I have defeated the shape-changer and taken two points of stamina damage, taking me down to eight, which is the lowest it's been, all adventure. You leave the cell and its gruesome inmate and try to open the wooden door. Do you possess three iron keys? I don't have any keys. No amount of tugging at the handle is going to open the door. Is that literally what I try, just gently rattling it? Please open, please. Uh, do you wish to try and charge it down? I do wish to try and charge it down. 
I'm obsessed now with the idea that there's something worthwhile that's been guarded by both a shape changer and a locked door. You charge at the door with your shoulder. Roll two dice. If the number rolled is less than or equal to your skill score, then I guess you succeed. Uh, I don't need to roll. I have a skill of 12. So, yeah. The door flies open. You find yourself standing in a dingy torture chamber. It is full of terrible instruments of pain. Racks, thumb screws, iron maidens and whips. You also see some rusty knives lying on a table in the corner of the chamber. I think I'll be picking up the rusty knife, thank you very much. Because I reckon that is a fire sword. As soon as you touch the handle of one of the knives, it changes in appearance. Instead of a dull old knife, you find yourself holding a magnificent sword with a flaming blade. It is one of the Lizard King's own fire swords. Add two skill points, two luck points. Cutting your new weapon through the air, you make your way over to the door in the far wall. Got a fire sword, got a monkey, that's all I need. The door opens into a small storeroom stacked with barrels and sacks. Do you want to look inside one of the barrels? I mean, only good things come in barrels. Beer, whiskey, fun. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look in a barrel. The barrel is full of pineapples, all rotten and covered with fruit flies. But hidden behind the barrel, you see a water bottle lying on the floor. You pull out the cork and sniff the contents. It might be water, but there's a musty smell rising from the bottle. Do you want to drink the liquid? Oh, do I want to drink the liquid? Oh, it's so difficult to decide at this point. In for a penny, in for a pound, that's what I say. Drinking the liquid makes you feel dizzy, but your body feels charged with energy. Add one skill point and two stamina points for drinking water brought from an enchanted stream. So my stamina is now 10, very slightly better, and my skill is now effectively 15. The door is not locked and opens into a room which is filled with benches and stools. Glass beakers, flasks and tumblers sit on top of the benches and shelves on the wall are lined with jars containing curious compounds. You are standing in the Lizard King's laboratory. Suddenly, you hear footsteps coming from the other side of a door in the far wall. Do you wish to draw your sword to meet whoever it is, or would you rather hide under one of the benches? I will hide under the benches, because despite having a skill of 15, I'm still a tremendous physical coward at this point, with only 10 stamina left, and I very much... Want to get a look at whatever it is before I decide whether to tackle it. So under the bench we go. The door flies open. You see a dwarf shackled by his arms and legs, being pushed into the laboratory by a grotesque, two-headed lizard man. It pushes the poor dwarf towards the door leading to the storeroom. Do you want to leap out from your hiding place to attack the mutant? Or would you rather wait to come out until after they've gone into the storeroom? Dwarf! Might just have some information about where the Lizard King is lurking. So, I'm going to attack me, a two-headed lizard man. You jump behind the hideous mutant and plunge your sword into its back. Test your luck. I am unlucky. Your sword rebounds off the lizard man's armour. He whirls round to face his would-be assassin and thrusts at you with his scimitar. The two-headed lizard man has a skill of nine and a stamina of nine. Am I going to roll some dice? I have hacked the two-headed lizard man to pieces without taking a single point of damage. I have to say, very much enjoying 
suddenly feeling like this all-conquering angel of death in the latter stages of this adventure. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. So many tough fights I've had to get through to get to this point as well, which just makes it feel all the sweeter. The dwarf shouts for joy as the lizard man slumps to the floor. Do you have a picklock's wire? I do. I do, I do, I do. The dwarf's shackles are soon undone by the picklock's wire. Add one luck point. You tell him that you are leading the attack on the prison colony and ask where the Lizard King is hiding. He tells you that the Lizard King is on the fort's front battlement, urging on his troops. You tell the dwarf to take the mutant scimitar and help his fellow men outside. You wish him good luck and run through the open doorway ahead. You find yourself in a corridor which turns sharply to the right. On the corner is a spiral staircase winding up the centre of a tower. You have a feeling you should climb the staircase. You run up the staircase until you reach a wooden door. Turning the handle slowly, you open it slightly. There in the open air, standing astride the battlement, is the infamous Lizard King, waving a clenched fist and calling to his troops. A strange black lion sits obediently at his side, but it is the sight of the gonchong on the Lizard King's head that makes you tremble. You breathe in deeply and step out to the battlements. You wave to your own troops and call out to the Lizard King. He does not even bother to look at you, but merely snaps his fingers to send the black lion bounding towards you. A black lion, skill 11, stamina 11. Bring it on, let's roll some dice. Oh, I should say there's a pretty good illustration of the Lizard King. He looks a little bit kind of... I don't know, like he's let himself go of it. Like being functionally invulnerable means he's not been doing his cardio or core exercises. There's a slightly kind of self-indulgent flabbiness to him, which I really, really like. Anyway, going to roll some dice, going to kill a big cat. I have slaughtered the feline, which doesn't sit particularly well with me as an inveterate cat lover. But hey-ho, the Lizard King finally turns to look at you. Staring in disbelief at the sight of his dead pet, he steps towards you angrily, cleaving the air with his fire sword. Are you carrying a monkey on your shoulder? Best believe that I am. Are you holding a fire sword as your weapon? I am doing that too. The Lizard King suddenly halts as he catches sight of your monkey. He starts to shake. His fear of monkeys quite evident. He is so terrified that he can hardly raise his sword to defend himself as you rush forward. Only the mental urging of the Gonchong forces the Lizard King into a token resistance. The Lizard King has a skill of 6 and a stamina of 15. I am going to roll some dice. I have very straightforwardly killed the Lizard King, who uh, turns out to not be able to fight at all well in the presence of a monkey. Your last Fatal blow sends the Lizard King crashing onto the stone floor. Do you want to turn to salute your troops? No. Sever the Gonchong's proboscis? Yes. Or search through the Lizard King's clothing? No. We'll sever the Gonchong's proboscis. Before the Gonchong can withdraw its proboscis from the Lizard King, you slice through it with your sword. Both the Lizard King and the Gonchong are slain. Oh yeah. Oh yeah done it. I've literally done it. I've literally beaten a fighting fantasy book on this podcast. Legitimately. You throw the vile gonchong over the wall and stand on the battlements in full view of your men. A cheer rises from below and you watch with satisfaction as they easily defeat 
the Lizard King's demoralised troops. The battle is over. The victory is yours. The elves, dwarves and men can now return to their homes on the mainland and the slave mines of Fire Island will close forever. Mungo would have been proud of you. Well, that has been quite the journey. I feel as though I have murdered every single creature living on Fire Island in my quest. And I've done it. Ah, oh, I feel so excited, properly exhilarated, which doesn't happen to me very often. I'm not someone given to exhilaration. I'm going to have some thoughts. I'm going to have some serious thoughts about the island of the Lizard King. But right now, I'm going to go and have a nice cup of tea and a little sit down. Because this recording has taken a while. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in a few moments. So, that's Island of the Lizard King. Certainly feels epic, no question about that. I felt quite exhausted by the time I finished recording my playthrough. And I did wonder whether this episode might not be better split into two. But in the end, I felt that the rhythm of the adventure would be lost if I did that. So I went with a single long episode. I'm going to try and keep my remarks brief. I've already taken up more than enough of your valuable time. So did I enjoy it? Yes, in the end I did. Some of that might have been delight at having finally beaten a fighting fantasy book on the first playthrough, with no recourse to the sausage finger bookmark, uh, but beyond feeling pleased with myself for beating a challenge aimed at 9 to 12 year olds, I think there is a number of things this book does well. Firstly, perhaps inevitably, Island of the Lizard King is in dialogue with what's gone before. With Death Trap Dungeon being a maze of traps and puzzles, it was always likely that Ian Livingstone would follow up with something less intricate. And Island of the Lizard King is far and away the most linear book we've covered so far. And what Death Trap Dungeon did with traps and puzzles, this book does with monsters. There really are a lot of monsters to fight on the island, and more than a few of them pack a nasty punch. Like the opening encounter with the giant crab is a really good example. A very tough monster thrown in right at the beginning to let you know that your six-sided dice will be getting quite the workout on this adventure. This is both good and bad. The linear structure means that a successful playthrough sees a lot of what the island has to offer. And this in turn means there's a really nice sense of escalation as you traverse a range of different environments. So rather than the very focused settings of earlier adventures, this time we go through jungle, swamp, mountains, mines, a volcano and a fort, taking in a pitched battle on the way. So the adventure builds to a nice crescendo, but that comes at the cost of some rather more straightforward feeling decision-making. I certainly didn't find myself scratching my head nearly as much as I have in previous instalments. You always know it's not been a particularly tough adventure to puzzle through when I don't feel the need to bust out the magic roundabout theme. The reliance on fights too is a mixed blessing. In Livingstone is really good at designing a combat encounter that feels wedded to the environment and he clearly had buckets of fun pillaging Victorian adventure fiction for inspiration. We get a lot of giant animals as well as plenty of humans and a smattering of fantasy staples. The range of different critters to fight does a 
great job of differentiating the different areas, but all that stabbing does start to feel a bit repetitive. There's also the issue that a lot of the human encounters rehearse troubling colonial fiction tropes without really flagging them as problematic or commenting on them. There's certainly something very uncomfortable about characterising your island inhabitants as less sophisticated than the two-dimensional lizardmen bad guys, as well as situating some of them squarely and unequivocally in the monster category. Added to this, the only two women we encounter are fur bikini-wearing pin-ups with mysteriously good hair. I don't think any of this was deliberate. I just think it represents a lack of thought about whether young BME kids and young girls were ever going to pick up a fighting fantasy book. But particularly now, it does need to be called out as something that has not aged at all well. On the upside, the later set pieces are all fantastic. Busting slaves out of a mine, that feels like proper heroism, especially as it's only indirectly connected to our main mission. I love the battle, and the assault on the Lizard King's lair feels very potent as well. Another bit I really, really enjoyed was how hardcore I felt once I'd got powered up for the final confrontation. All of the fights suddenly becoming really easy makes a marked contrast to the slogging battles earlier on in the story, and I felt like nothing could stop me as I closed in on the Lizard King. Tremendous sense of catharsis, tremendous power fantasy, which I definitely enjoyed, and is something that I haven't felt so much in previous adventures. It's worth noting that uh, this is the introduction to the Lizard Men, and they will go on to become a significant antagonist in the fighting fantasy world, ruling over a large empire that has designs on world domination. And even in this early stage, there's some fairly good world building around the Lizard Men. Their links with black magic, various mutations, their militaristic demeanour. This all gets much more fully fleshed out later in Battleblade Warrior by Mark Gascoigne, but that's a story for another day a long way in the future. Anyway, that's quite enough from me. Thanks so much for making it this far. You can get in touch with me by emailing hjdoomretrofun at gmail.com or by following me on Twitter at hjdoom. Look after each other and I'll see you soon.